a miracle cholesterol cure, free Alzheimer's tests, and everything investors need to know about hepatitis C, because this is where the money is. Hi fools, welcome to the healthcare edition of Where the Money Is. I'm David Williamson and I'm joined by my fellow healthcare analyst, Michael Douglas. Michael, how are you doing today? It's been a good day so far. It has been. It's been a busy week on the market too. Uh, hepatitis C has been just a huge story. We saw a, a takeover. Uh, we're going to dive right in there in that segment, explain everything investors need to know, who the players are, why it's so exciting, and what the future holds. We have a great question uh, in our in our reader mailbag uh, about beginning investors, where they should be looking in the space. We have two stocks that we want to highlight for that. But let's first get started with the headlines. Uh, it's been a busy week. Mm -hmm. uh, we just saw uh, three big pharmas with three phase three trials and kind of a mixed bag of results. Let's start with the good, which uh, GlaxoSmithKline and Theravance announced uh, positive results from actually two phase three studies they were running uh, for Increase Ellipta in combination with Relver and Breo Ellipta in COPD. Uh, Bristol Myers Squibb had positive uh, results in the AVERT trial for rheumatoid arthritis for their drug Orencia. Uh, but unfortunately, on the negative side of the column, Eli Lilly announced uh, its phase three REACH trial for Cyramza uh, in patients with liver cancer did not hit. Uh, its primary endpoint, which is overall survival. Uh, it was trending the right way, but it wasn't statistically significant, and they're going to sort of dive through the data and, and maybe run another trial. Yeah, so definitely some uh, some bad news for Lily there. I is that say, what stands out to you of the three? I would say definitely. Um, you know, Eli Lilly has really had a lot of trouble uh, with the, uh, the so-called sort of patent cliff, as we call it, which is when basically you're big or a lot of your big drugs um, fall off the patent cliff, you lose most of that revenue, and then... You lose patent protection, generic competitors come in, right. and it's a race to the bottom on pricing. You lose about 90% of, of your previous pricing. Right, exactly. And, and so what Lilly really needs is some white knight drug to kind of come in and win this. Um, and si there was a lot of hope for Cyramza. It's been approved in stomach cancer. But... You know, here it failed in liver. It failed in uh, a breast cancer trial as well of not, phase three. Not incredibly strong results yeah. out of a lung cancer trial as well. Yeah, so so it's been it's been a lot. You know, and they really need something to help them sort of juice that top and bottom line growth, get them back to growth. Uh, and we've seen this in a lot of big pharma. So I, I think that's the thing I'd, I'd like to highlight the most. Um, you know, Glaxo and Theravance had good news. Uh, Bristol had good news. I'd say these aren't necessarily as foundational to their business as what Lilly really needed Ramicurumab to be. Yeah, I, I think when you look at it, just because of Lilly's weakened position, I agree yeah. with you, that was probably the most important of the three, and, mm -hmm. and it, it turned out the wrong way for Eli Lilly, because not only are they losing Cymbalta and Cialis is running out of patent protection, Olympta just lost a patent challenge, and that was supposed to go into the 2020s. Right. Uh, now that was in Europe, Lilly will appeal it, so we, we don't know how that's going to end up. That still has a lot of time to play out, but Cyramza is needed to pick up the slack mm -hmm. and the more indications it can get in, the the, the better it'll do. Mm -hmm. uh, gastric is not the the biggest indication, so uh, that's going to be tough. I think for Glaxo of the other two, I, I think that was maybe more important just because COPD is really uh, what Glaxo is trying to hang its hat on besides vaccines. Anoro uh, right. Brio Ellipta, and now Incruce Ellipta uh, are going to be very important to this company going forward. Uh, they're the dominant COPD player. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure everyone out there has seen their commercials. Yeah. Um, and, and just seeing more success there is, is really good. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to our next and final headline, which is Rite Aid. Mm -hmm. uh, they have uh, a test that's going to be in some of their stores 
for Alzheimer's. Uh, 4,000 sites are partnering with the Alzheimer's Foundation of America as part of their Wellness 65 Plus Wednesday, which not really the catchiest name for a uh, program, uh, but they have this campaign. The screening is to raise disease awareness, but there is some controversy surrounding it as well. Right, and so some folks are claiming that sort of it's it's needlessly worrying people. Um, I mean, I, I think that this is tapping into a reality that we're seeing, which is that with the Affordable Care Act, um, people are increasingly going to places like Rite Aid, Walgreens, CVS um, for some of their primary care, um, and you're you're noting this reality in kind of a lot of, I think, a lot of different ways, right? So um, first off, CVS with the Minute Clinic, I mean, this is a lucrative business, right? It saw an 11% increase in revenue on a 4% increase in clinics to 828 mm -hmm. uh, last quarter. So that's really, really good news for CVS. Um, and I think and makes they plan to continue to aggressively grow their clinic size well, as well. And they've been the most aggressive too, right? I mean, so Walgreen, uh, a has uh, just under 400 clinics, and then Rite Aid's got 30. So you know, you look at the difference, and, and you're seeing a pretty big difference there. Um, I, you know, I think it's important, especially with all of these new people who are insured, who are on a lot of these high deductible plans. They're looking for an easy, fast, relatively cheap way to get primary care, to get preventative care, to be looking at some of these things like Alzheimer's that someone can identify early on if they're if if they're looking for it, right? And mm -hmm. if you're kind of talking with these nurse practitioners or doctors or whoever. Um, and so I, I think it's really important to look, watch these three stocks um, and the effect that the Affordable Care Act uh, is having on It's really transforming their businesses, like you said. They're really yeah. positioning themselves as more healthcare providers. That's why CVS got rid of cigarettes. Right. Uh, we're seeing pressure on the other two to stop selling cigarettes as well. Yeah, the AMA just uh, spoke up and said, please do it. <laughs> Which, which was smart by CVS to get ahead of it, mm -hmm. uh, actually. So they look like a leader in the industry. Uh, but you know, now that everyone is technically insured, not, not everyone is, but we've seen a huge expansion of insurance, uh, not only will CVS get, get paid for some of this stuff, obviously they're mm -hmm. giving away these treatments, but it creates a stickier relationship right. with the pharmacies. If, if you're comfortable going there to see your medical needs, you're probably not going to just randomly pop into one of the competitors. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, unfortunately for Alzheimer's, though, there's not a whole lot of treatments out there. We right. should get some more information this summer. There's an Alzheimer's conference. Roche will be presenting some data. Um, we see Biogen has some interesting next-generation Alzheimer's drugs. Eli Lilly still has solanezumab in development with some of that disappointment we mentioned earlier. Right. With <laughs> yeah. They really, really need that drug to, to perform well in phase three. Uh, in, in its third phase three trial, it didn't, didn't perform well enough in its first two. Right. Um, so there, you know, hopefully are going to be some more treatments for Alzheimer's. Early detection is great. Uh, I understand the concerns that they don't want people to, you know, stress over having Alzheimer's or dementia or some sort of uh, mental impairment as they're getting older. But you know, if the results are are concerning, that's a conversation to have with a doctor. It's Absolutely. better than, than not having that conversation at all. For sure, and, and early detection is very key. All right, well, let's dive in depth uh, to really the hottest story of healthcare this week. Yeah. Which, and it's not just this week, it's, it's been uh, pretty much for the last year or so. Right. Uh, but it, it came to a head this week, which is hepatitis C. Uh, there are a number of next-gen hepatitis C drugs. Gilead Savaldi, we've, we've mentioned it before on the show. Uh, that's really the game-changing drug. Mm -hmm. It has a 90-plus percent cure rate. can be taken without interferon and its nasty side effects in genotypes 2 and 3. can be teamed up with a Johnson & Johnson drug that's already approved for mm -hmm. genotype 1 without interferon. Gilead's working on its own combo product. The thing is this drug costs $84,000. 
and there's been a lot of pushback on that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been some questions over how long a tail the market can have, but we saw this week Merck bought Identix for nearly $4 billion. It was $3.85 billion for uh, a drug so it could compete with Gilead's regimen. But, but that drug's still years out. Right. Well, and, and that's the thing, is that when you're, when you're looking at the hepatitis C market and you're thinking, okay, what are the opportunities here? Gilead's kind of the obvious one, right? Everyone knows about Gilead. Um, you do have these, these other competitors, but they are they're missing that first-to-market uh, push. And I, the question, I think, is how much they'll still be able to get uh, revenue-wise once they get to market. Now, you look at AbbVie, the second mover, with their six-pill regimen. It's, it's not as It's easy. cumbersome. Yeah, it's, it's cumbersome. It's six pills compared There's, to one a day. For Gilead. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a big difference. But they are most likely going to have the second-to-market mover advantage. Um, and so they'll have the opportunity to go ahead and take up a lot of the market that Gilead hasn't. Then when you're looking at further back... But you know what's interesting is because yeah. uh, you know payers are complaining about price, it, they're trying to, I think, get AbbVie to compete on price because uh, while their product also has a 90-plus percent cure rate, uh, it is a little more cumbersome, as we mentioned. But right. AbbVie's CEO basically said, we're not competing on price. Right. That's not going to happen. So it'll be interesting to see sort of where that falls uh, in terms of market share with Gilead. Yeah, and, and so I, I think there is going to be this big question about price long term. And, and with Merck and Adenix, um, it looks like there may be some possibility of a, uh, a therapy that cures a little faster. Uh, than Gilead's 12-week, $84,000 regimen. So what you could have there, again, a few years down the road, is something where maybe they charge as much per day, but since it's fewer days, it's a lot cheaper. Um, and we're seeing some of this uh, expectation as well, I think, with Achilleon, which just had their... Um, Heck of a week, yeah. what Achilleon <laughs> so, had. <laughs> so, so they were up, I think, what, 45 50%? Because Adenix got bought out, and Adenix and Achillean are both hepatitis C-focused biotechs. Uh, Smaller players. Right. Kind of lost in the wilderness. At least a lot yeah. of people thought they had sort of missed the boat to make their mark in hepatitis C. Right. And then, and then Achillean... Turns out that was not the case. <laughs> well, at least that's the market's opinion today. Um, Achillean then uh, announced... Something like, I think it was the day after, or maybe two days after. It was that, the day after. That Sovaprevir, their phase two uh, drug that had been held on a clinical hold by the FDA. And a clinical hold is basically where the FDA says, stop, collaborate, and listen. You know, <laughs> right? Like, you know, we, we want to we stop. We need to look at these data. There's something here. There was a safety concern, I believe. Right, with, uh, I think, liver enzymes. Mm -hmm. um, with that hold lifted, now they're back in business. Of course, it's only in phase two trials. There's a long time still before such a drug uh, would get through phase two trials, if that went well, phase three trials, if that went well, potentially a, um, a um, uh, opportunity to get to the market with the FDA. Um, and what they're looking at as well is they're trying to target kind of like an eight-week therapy or something like that, which mm -hmm. could, again, they could charge the same amount per day as Gilead, and it could be a lot cheaper. I do wonder if Achillean really is a takeover target, though, because you have to think Merck looked at both. Mm -hmm and picked Idenix, right. right? Now, Achillean was technically still on clinical hold, but if management you know, had an inkling that things were trending their way there, that, mm -hmm. that could have been communicated to a potential buyer like Merck. But we'll see what happens with Achillean. Merck still believes that there is not just domestically, uh, but globally a huge market for these drugs. Mm -hmm. I, I think they said roughly 150 million people worldwide have hepatitis C. So 
I, you know, the, the question is how long a tail is there for this market because you're, you're curing it. This isn't a chronic condition that you have to maintain. Right. Uh, you would hope that you don't get any repeat business. Right. Really. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see Gilead too when they come out with their own combo product for Genotype 1, uh, what they do with pricing. They are going to, I think, reduce their treatment regimen, try to get it down to eight weeks. They have really good eight-week data as mm -hmm. well. So that could be a way that they say, you know, we're, we're lowering the price, but right. really they're just lowering the treatment, you know, treatment uh, time. But it will be interesting to see. There's nothing hotter than this. Gilead currently, I mean, they were estimated for 1.4 billion Something in like the first that. quarter. Savaldi was on the market. It made 2.3 billion, could hit 3 billion for this quarter. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, that's a run rate of 12 billion. They paid $11 billion for this drug, which was just a monumental amount. Yeah. But they're going to make it back in, in just about a year. Right. And so just a transformative purchase for Gilead. Everyone's playing catch up, but uh, Big Pharma is not letting Gilead have this market to themselves. No, definitely not. All right. Well, let's move on. The, uh, the, the first fool in the blank. Uh, I got excited about the mailbag. It was such uh, a good question. I totally dig that. Uh, the first fool in the blank is Dendrion's next CEO will blank. What is it, Michael? Have a very difficult time. <laughs> I mean, uh, so I think I think my blank is go down with the ship. <laughs> Well, we'll see. So CEO and Chairman John Johnson uh, has, uh, has left uh, the company. Um, and, you know, Dendrion's in a lot of trouble, right? Uh, and we've, we've talked about this previously. Their prostate cancer drug, Prevenge, has more or less leveled off in sales. And they're losing money still. Um, and, and they're losing really badly to Johnson & Johnson's Zytiga, um, which brought in $512 million last quarter, which was a 49% growth year over year. You compare that to Prevenge, which brought in... Uh, let me see, 68.8 million in Q1 yep. compared to 67.6 million in Q1 of 2013. And that, that's basically Love. where it is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's bumped up basically about as high as 80, but that's, that's it. And, uh, you know, CEO John Johnson wasn't able to get growth going. Mm -hmm. You know, Dendron was the victim of the, uh, not the CEO before Johnson uh, had these huge claims about sales projections. Um, did not materialize at all. It's a tough position. The company needs to hit uh, 400 million a year in sales to break even. That's yeah. not going to happen. They have a huge debt payment coming up. Uh, they're not going to be able to pay it. Uh, so you're going to see some sort of dilution probably to try to pay it. Um, it's it's tough sledding. You know, maybe at a certain point the stock gets cheap enough that the approved drug is attractive to someone, but uh, the cost of goods sold and it's really high because of its unique development. Right. Well, and, and you look at, um, I mean, they've done a good job of reducing their net loss, but it's just not enough. You know what I yeah. mean? So Q1 of 2014 was 36 million as opposed to 72 million the year before. I mean, that is genuine substantial cost cutting, but there's only so much you can do before you start impacting necessary operations. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's move on to our next fool in the blank, which is Ackman and Allergan will eventually Blank, Michael. Join a fight club, maybe. I, I, don't know. I like that. I like that. Uh, things have been things have been pretty pretty ugly. It's been kind of a, a soap opera. It's been bad. I'm actually gonna say uh, um, learn to learn to love one another. <laughs> I, I because I actually think Ackman is going to end up getting Valiant and Ackman who are pursuing Allergan. Mm -hmm. uh, Allergan wants nothing to do with with any of these unanimously rejected yes. board of directors it's yeah. uh it, it, it's gotten pretty awkward mm -hmm. uh it's like your friend just continually hitting on someone in a bar and getting shot down just over and over and over again but uh in this case 
Valiant and Ackman's offer is really attractive. Ackman's actually willing to set aside profits mm -hmm. uh, to get, you know, try to uh, get Allergan shareholders on their side. There is going to be a shareholder referendum. Mm -hmm. um, it looks like they're going to go hostile here. It is a pretty attractive offer. Well, yeah, it, it is. And, and ultimately, Ackman is calling for the ouster of the board of directors, or the yes. majority of the board of directors. Um, and on, on Allergan's side, you know, their, their claim has been basically that, that you know, Valiant's business model is unsustainable, and we've talked about this before, yep. um, that you can't just keep acquiring companies, that they're not really being successful in the companies that they're acquiring, that those companies really aren't doing as well as Valiant is sort of sort of presenting them as doing. Um, and uh, there was a quote, I, I think it was something like, um, you know, the only part of this uh, deal that we can really, that we're comfortable valuing is the, is the U.S. cash dollar portion of it, um, which... Basically was, saying they have no, uh, Allergan has no faith in Valiant stock price. Exactly. So it's, uh, it's, been, it's been a rough couple of months, I think, for a lot of people, but it'll be interesting to see what happens next. I mean, since Valiant recently upped their bid, they're a very disciplined acquirer. I don't think they're going to come back with another... Uh, much stronger offer. They feel like they've done a good job mm -hmm. with an increased cash portion with that contingent value, right? The CVR for DARPEN, right. uh, the wet AMD drug that Allergan has in development could be a sizable blockbuster. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how uh, effective they are rallying Allergan shareholders to their cause. I think either that happens or, th or there is no deal, but it is attractive. And if Valiant walks away, Allergan shares will probably come down. You know, I, I said that uh, when Pfizer walked away from AstraZeneca. And it did. Uh, you know, the, the valuation doesn't support the share price uh, mm -hmm. for AstraZeneca at that point, and I don't think it does for Allergan right now. No, I think it's a fair point. Okay, well, let's move from the game, which I'm glad we didn't skip because yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a good one. Uh, but to the mailbag, we have a great question coming from uh, North Carolina uh, from Jerry. He writes, I am a new healthcare investor, and frankly, the numbers and figures y'all throw around are hard to follow. Tell me, plain and simple, what sort of stocks should I look at? And that is a fantastic question. Uh, Jerry, thank you for writing in. Uh, folks, hc at fool.com, that hc for healthcare at fool.com. Uh, please send us your questions. We love getting them. We love reading through them. Um, so healthcare is an inherently risky sector, right? Because so much depends on the government uh, in one way or another, right? If you're talking about FDA approval for a drug, if you're talking about the Affordable Care Act with, a, with an insurance company, I'm mean, just whatever it is, there's a lot going on. Um, and it's particularly hard, I think, because for pharmas and biotechs, one drug is really going to make the difference in a lot of cases. However, there's one simple, easy stock that you can, uh, that you can purchase that is a great healthcare play. It's well diversified. It's Johnson & Johnson, a family company. Um, sorry, I just, I, I love it. Anyway, so look at their diversity and their size, right? So they are the largest healthcare stock. They are about 40% pharma, 40% medical devices, about 20% consumer goods. Um, so what you get there is you get the exposure to pharma, which is kind of a growth opportunity. You also get a, a very diverse pipeline. Um, and they're shielded sort of from those individual uh, drug problems. Um, they've also got a great dividend, about a 3% yield. They're a dividend aristocrats. They've been raising their dividend for the last 25 years. Um, they've got a 48% cash dividend payout ratio, so it's a nice sustainable dividend. That's a stock you can set and forget. It's an easy healthcare stock, and I would encourage folks to take a look closely at it. Yeah, it's a stock that's not going to hurt you. Its diversification is its strength. You know me, I'm not a huge fan of the conglomerate model, but when it's done well, I have to take my hat off to it. No one does it better than Johnson & Johnson. Absolutely. Their pharma division is so strong, one of the best in the industry. Uh, I don't know if it gets enough credit because of you know how large the rest of the company is, right? Uh, but I think if you're you're also taking a look at biotechs, mm -hmm. I think the the one thing to look at are biotechs with large pipelines with a unique platform 
uh, that have pharma partners and that have an approved drug that, mm -hmm. that proves out that their pipeline technology works, so it's not all hype. Uh, a stock that's uh, sold off a little bit recently uh, that I like is Isis. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great example. It has an incredibly, incredibly deep pipeline. Its, its partnership is basically a who's who of uh, pharma and biotech, yeah. Sanofi, Biogen, Roche, Glaxo, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, they're all there. Uh, you know, Piper Jaffray called it the best pipeline in biotech. It's, it's pretty bold. They said it was their favorite mid-cap stock. I really like Isis. Um, you know, they think it's a takeover target. You shouldn't ever invest in biotech because you think a stock is going to get taken out. Um, that's usually the best case scenario, mm -hmm. but you, you, you can't invest on that. But you can invest because uh, you think the company has uh, great growth potential as far as uh, these drugs. And the more chances you have at the plate, mm -hmm. the more likely something's going to work out in your favor. Yeah. And ISIS has uh, seemingly an endlessly long pipeline. So uh, that that's the type of biotech I would look at if, mm. if you're looking to play in a riskier space. But uh, for complete newbie investors, I think Johnson & Johnson is the best way to go. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's move on to Tweet It. Uh, always, always a favorite segment, one of my favorites. Our first tweet comes from Joseph Stromberg, who writes, 36% of Americans say they're overweight, 64% actually are. And you have, a, you have a little bar chart with it, which I don't know if it's really necessary to show that 64 <laughs> is higher than 36. It's but, official, it's an optic. But, but, but mission accomplished there. Um, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, we've, we've seen, this is the argument for obesity drug makers, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and, and what they basically, a lot of them have been saying is um, they actually welcome more, more competition because the more people are being educated or learning about things, then the more likely it is that their market's actually going to grow and that people will recognize that there's something going on and actually talk to their doctor about trying to get something done about it. Um, Although we should say this is, Overweight, not obese. Right, right. So, uh, I mean, that that is the that is the difference. We, we, there yeah. aren't really very many medications for overweight uh, folks. You know, there's really the focus on kind of the really unhealthy obesity. Yep. Um, and you know, we've had a lot of news about that lately. You know, Orexigen, uh, with up for FDA approval. Yeah. But uh, FDA punted. Yeah, the FDA said we're going to hold off for three more months uh, for, on Contray, which is Orexigen's uh, primary. Uh, drug. Remember we talked about diverse pipelines in biotech being a good thing? Uh, Erexogen does not have one. Uh, it's pretty much the content. It's a one-hit wonder. Yeah. Uh, and so, so that's something people definitely want to be thinking about. Um, that said, you know, the FDA basically said, well, you know, we want to we want to hold off so we can talk about post-marketing requirements, which seems to imply that marketing Approval. will occur. Yeah. So that's sort of good news. I don't think it makes Erexogen a bad news buy or anything today. Um, the stock's, I think, down 17% or so on the FDA news. But it certainly is interesting. Um, and obesity drug makers have had a lot of trouble um, with commercialization. Once they're selling. That, that's the, the funny thing. This actually might be better for Erexogen share price because sales deferred, you know, while There's still you, hope. There's yeah. still hope, right? Because you take a look at Arena and you look at um, Vivas and yeah. it's, it's not been pretty for them. Yeah, uh, Arena, which is... Uh, uh, um, they're Belvique. Belvique. That's the. It sold seventeen million dollars last year, um, which you know this was originally supposed to be a, a blockbuster, and yeah. it just hasn't done well. And Vivas Cusimia sold twenty-four million last year, about nine million last quarter. quarter. I mean, Pres are, where prescriptions declined. Yeah, and they give a lot away for free. Yeah. So it's just been it's been really rough and not short. Now, now I will say, Erexigen is working with uh, Takeda yep. uh, Pharmaceuticals, which is a, a Japanese pharma. Um, they have nine hundred sales reps that they're dedicating to this. So uh, if and when an approval occurs, there will be a big push. 
but whether that big push is actually going to make the difference when you've got a lot of doctors who are concerned about side effects, even when those side effects don't necessarily present. Contact's yep. got a, a relatively good uh, bill of health when it comes to side effects with the drug. Still, doctors have been burned so many times in the past that it's it's been on, on obesity drugs. It's true. Yeah. So uh, we'll be watching that carefully, but it's probably going to be uh, quiet news for the next three months for orexogen and obesity drugs in general, at least until earnings comes around. Absolutely. All right. Well, our next tweet comes from Andy Biotech, mm -hmm. and uh, he says, Kite sets terms for downsized IPO, 6 million shares at $12 to $14 per share is approximately $550 million in market cap. And then there's a slide of uh, Kite's um, pipeline, mm -hmm. and pipeline almost might be too aggressive a term. <laughs> they have, well, they have uh, five drugs, mm -hmm. uh, but usually when you see a pipeline, it's, it's preclinical sometimes, but uh, Preclinical, phase one, phase two, phase three. Marketing, marketing. something like yeah, that. This, this pipeline goes preclinical, which three of the five are in. Mm -hmm. Phase one, two clinical, which the other two are in. And then phase two, phase one, two multi-center. And then just indications. It, it, it's like phase, phase three doesn't even exist. Right. And, 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 and marketed is just a faraway dreamland. Right. Well, and, and so this is one of my, my things uh, about biotech investing in general, right? Like, if you are going to go for a company with a small pipeline, with an early stage pipeline, you had better be real confident in the science. You know what I mean? And I am just usually not. I, I want to see those larger trials, mm -hmm. the phase twos, and the phase, particularly the phase threes, showing lots of good data, uh, showing that there's you know safety, that this is actually going forward, that they've got the cash to do what they need to do. Um, and that's when I start feeling comfortable investing, especially when someone kind of sets up the optics so it looks like their drugs are further along than, than really they are. You know, they sort of set up the, the, the goalposts so that mm -hmm. the goal appears to be a, uh, a phase two. Um, that, that is a bit of a red flag for me. It, we've seen just such an IPO bonanza in yeah. biotech. There were uh, over 35 last year. Mm -hmm. uh, we were on pace to shatter that this year. Now, there's been a little bit of a lull. Because uh, of the pullback. Because of the, the pullback yeah. from uh, biotech and really just tech in general. Mm -hmm. uh, but it could be ramping back up again uh, as the market gets a little healthier. Um, I, I, I think that's a great point just because we've seen uh, so many IPOs fall. I mean, it just takes a long time for drug development. And I know investors get excited about getting in on the ground floor of something, but you have plenty of time. Yeah. There is plenty of time to invest in these companies. We don't assign value to preclinical or phase one assets. So really, I can assign no value to any of Kite's assets that I feel comfortable. Right. Uh, and, and they're going for the right indications. I mean, they're, they're, they're an oncology company, so mm -hmm. potentially um, you know, a lot of money there for them if they can make that work. But uh, I, I don't see any any need to rush into the newest biotech IPO when there are so many further along, exciting, developed companies that you can still get in at a good price on. Yeah, well, especially when you consider that that failure rate, right? Like when we look at preclinical and phase one failure rates, I mean, I mean, to, to sort of get out. You know, you've got less than a one in ten chance of of getting out to market from a phase one trial. I mean, so you know we. Be careful. Be careful. Be don't careful. lose your hat out. Yes. Be careful. All right. Our final tweet of the week is. Uh, or it comes from Travis Bernard, and he says, and the winner of the World Cup is dot, 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 and he has a link to a great site. Uh, it's, it's fun analytics. It basically predicts the winner of the World Cup, uh, which it gives a slightly better than 20% odds of Brazil winning, followed by Spain, Germany, Portugal, and Argentina. Now, as an American, I'm going to say I'm concerned because we're in a bracket <laughs> with Germany and Portugal. <laughs> 
but are you going to be watching the World Cup, and who are you rooting for? Uh, I'm going to root for Team USA. Um, I mostly lost interest. So you in do love America, though. I, I do, I do, <laughs> uh, greatly. Um, I mostly lost interest in soccer when I uh, stopped playing it in fifth grade. So um, ooh, yeah, I know. It's fun. Right? <laughs> I love watching uh, nations compete. The, for uh, for people out there who are curious, though, we are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13th. Lucky 13th. We're the, we're the 13th likeliest. Sounds I feel, great. I, I feel bad for uh, Australia, who, who's dead last, mm. and uh, Korea. Maybe they apparently they shouldn't have even fielded a team, according to these analytics. But uh, we'll be watching. It's always, it's always a fun tournament. Mm-hmm. And uh, go Team USA. Go. And thanks for watching Where the Money Is. We will see you on the healthcare version next week, but stay tuned to Fool.com for all your financial news and for a new Where the Money Is tomorrow. Fool on.